0: Welcome to another episode of On The Edge with Andrew Gold. I've got Javi Weisberger back on the show. Now, some of you you might remember this was an episode people really enjoyed. She is a, a, another former Hasidic Jewish woman. You know, I sort of tend to do a few episodes on one particular theme, then another on another. So I go to Scientology for a few, ex-Hasidic Judaism for a few. Anyway, Javi uh, is one of my most popular guests, as I say. And she happened to be in London just last week so she got in touch to tell me as much and we met up we had a lovely lunch we had a really nice day and we uh, recorded in a studio so this is an in-person one which I always feel are more intimate I don't know if you guys can sense the difference that we're in the same room together I hope you do enjoy this and make sure to look up we'll have a link to Footsteps as well as Gesher EU which are two organizations that help people to leave Hasidic Judaism and to enter the real world i guess um the world where they have to quickly learn english in their own country or they have to learn skills and understand things uh, outside of the extreme sect that they grew up in. I am taking sort of um, what what tips for different kinds of ideas and things that you'd like, different themes that you'd like to hear more from. I've gone through a phase the last few months of Scientology and cults and things, and I'd like to branch out. and I'm going to have a professional guest booker working on the show from next month. Um, I did put a little quiz up on my YouTube and found that. of people want to hear more from UFO experts and believers. 25% uh, their favorite thing would be sort of scientists and astrophysicists. Uh, 16% at the moment are interested in trans and detransitioners. 13% culture war personalities. I guess that ties into the trans stuff as well, I guess. Very few wanted dating advice. I put that as another thing about only 4% were interested in that and all the dating stuff. So, not more of that for now. But there might be other kinds of topics you guys are interested in. If you are, maybe message me on uh, Twitter or or Instagram or find that poll I put up. You'll have to go to my YouTube channel. Just type in Andrew Gold on YouTube. Don't get the singer with the same name as me. It's the other one. And go to my community posts and then you can uh, find that quiz. You'll scroll down a little bit. You'll find that and you can vote and comment as well. Because I'm always interested in what kinds of things you guys want to hear about. But now you're on the edge of Hasidic Judaism with Javi Weisberger. Javi, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me again.
0: That's cool. It's so nice to see you in London. you enjoying London?
1: I'm having the time of my life. Um, I went to see Macbeth at the Globe Theatre. I feel like I'm part of history now. (laughs) Um, And I'm doing lots of cool stuff. I'm really enjoying my time here.
0: Did you understand much of Macbeth?
1: Um, the The acting was so good that I actually understood it. I tried to read it in the past I watched different performances of it and didn't understand any of it but this yeah. time I feel a little bit more knowledgeable
0: that's why I ask because whenever I've been I've been like once or twice and I just I don't know what's happening it's probably brilliant all of this but I don't know what this what words they are saying and language they're using but it seems uh, very good um do you want to take us through a little bit I, I know you've done it a million times before but take us through a little bit for those oh and I should say we do have another episode I'll put at the end which is the full story of Javi's and everything so I'll put that up at the end and all that but just give us a run. Down of of your uh, early life, I suppose.
1: My early life is such where I was born and raised in a Hasidic community in a place called Muncie, New York, which is like an hour north of Manhattan. Um, I'm the fifth of 10 children. I was primed and prepared my whole life for marriage. By the time I was 18, I was engaged to a stranger who I had met twice. Um, I then was married to him and, in quick order, had three children. I was very unhappy throughout this and was trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Why can't I make this marriage work? I learned that I was not attracted to him and maybe to men at all and thought maybe I'm a lesbian, questioned that for a while. At 25, I got divorced uh, with three very young children, a one-year-old, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And my ex-husband moved on really quickly and got married four months after our divorce and proceeded to have six children with his new wife. Um... During those years, be- between like 25 and 30 years old, um, my ex wasn't really seeing the children much, and it gave me a lot of opportunity to really question who we are, what are we doing as a family, what do we believe? And also for me to figure out my sexuality, um, I learned that the way that I express myself and the, my value system no longer lines up with the Hasidic community I was raising my children in. And... At 30 years old, I came out publicly, both as a queer person and as no longer religious. Um, I came out to my children, I came out to my community and my family, and the repercussions came really quickly. My ex-husband took me to court immediately to fight for custody of the children. Um, should I pause for breath here? You
0: can pause for <laughs> breath, yeah. How, how did it feel in that moment coming? I mean, before doing so, in the lead up to coming out to everybody, how, how were you inside?
1: Um. You know, it's interesting because the process, the internal process of questioning who I am and figuring out, like, how to kind of live this life that makes sense for myself and my children, that was a really interesting, joyful time. It was a, a time of discovery and potential, and it was ex- exhilarating even to be, you know, opening all these doors of future opportunity. Um As I started thinking about doing this publicly, I got a little afraid that, you know, there will be backlash. I had heard stories of other people really um, losing custody of their children and, you know, worst case scenarios. I deluded myself into thinking that that wouldn't be the case for me because my ex had been so uninvolved in our lives and wasn't really present for the children. I thought that he wouldn't. Have the audacity to to really go after any kind of legal action. Um, I was quickly proven wrong, and he took me to court and fought for custody of the children with the backing of the entire community. So there was a lot of financial support behind him, and I scrambled to get you know pro bono um, representation, and um, it was a really you know, dark, scary time. I lost custody of my children initially um, and spent, you know, five years in a trial. Um, During that time, I was ordered to pretend to be religious and hide my sexuality and my identity from my children um, and just had very limited time, three, three nights a week with the children. Um, this was up until 2016, when that's when the official order came out. And I then appealed that decision. Um, and uh, two years later, in a landmark case, I won back custody of my children. And it was deemed unconstitutional for a judge to um, demand that any parent behave in a way that's not true to themselves around their children. And so I was able to ha- live with my children again, be my full self and and kind of raise them in the value system that felt more um, right to me
0: your story every time i hear it it breaks my heart a little bit and i I just can't believe in in the west in modern day so who was it exactly who said to you, you you mustn't let your children know that you might be queer or and you and that you lost custody of the kids like who's making these decisions
1: this was just the uh the Mainstream secular courts, the Supreme Court of Kings County. So it's not some kind of um, religious cult court. This is just the mainstream um, legal system. I think I. Who am I to say why? I have like conspiracy theory ideas, and I also have the practical things in front of me. I think the 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 simple answer is that judges want to keep the status quo for children. Um, so they like to keep things to c- consistent and continuing. So they say the kids were religious until now in their religious community queerness wasn't talked about and it wasn't okay to be, you know, out like that. And so in order to keep the children, um, not, you know, to keep, give less confusion for the children. um, That's, that's the explanation that's been given to me. Although if you think about it, you know, if we're going to go by status quo, status quo is also children being raised by their mother and having her share who she is with them and teach them her values and that was also a thing that the children had been accustomed to and that was taken from them very suddenly in a very traumatic way so who's to say there's also you know the conspiracy theories that the religious community has a lot of power in in the court system the judges are voted in and in the area where i live the Hasidic community has a big voting
0: oh, pool i think that's because some conspiracy theories have elements of truth in them and it's difficult because I don't think we like to talk about that because there's the, the myth that, that Jewish people are more powerful or whatever it might be. But we're to, within the Jewish community, there are some people who are more powerful than other people. And in that case, those particularly religious people did hold much more power and sway in the community than you did. Yes, if you had been completely straight or what, would that have made much of a difference? I know we have like Emily Green is someone, a mutual friend of ours who works for Gesha UK, who, who Gesha EU, who helped get people out of out of that community. She had a lot of issues as well with her children, getting cons- um, custody. custody of her children.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak to Emily's personal experience. And I will say that In the U.S., in New York. um, Yes, it it doesn't matter if people are straight or queer. The religious piece is a big one. So even if, you know, I I work at Footsteps and there's a lot of um, parents that I support that are dealing with similar things as myself who are struggling to get custody of their children. And it's not about their sexuality. It's about their leaving the religious practices. Um, So that has enough of its own reasoning for the judges to take children away from their parents.
0: It's tr- that just drives me mad. And I think that is something that a lot of people can, uh, if not relate to, they can understand definitely, particularly mothers, fathers as well, you know, the idea of losing your children, especially to a community like that. What You grew up in a Hasidic community. For those who don't know, can you give us a brief, because uh, I still don't know what, I mean, what's the difference between the word Hasidic and the word Haredi?
1: There's not much difference. Uh, Haredi is a little bit more of an inclusive term of several different sects of ultra-Orthodox Jews, so Hasidic, Yeshivish.
0: Oh, they're different, Hasidic and Yeshivish? Yes. Because a Yeshiva is a school.
1: Yes, but Yeshivish is a, a sect of ultra-Orthodox Judaism, uh, like a, a portion of ultra-Orthodox Judaism. And I, I learned to not speak on this because I'm not an expert on it, but it's there's nuance of how people practice, how they dress. Overall, there's uh, more similarities than differences between the Yeshivish community and the Hasidic community in terms of the control and the um really being separate from the world and um extreme fundamentalist religious practices
0: when i had you on before afterwards and the same happened with julia hart there were a lot of uh well mostly comments of support but there were also a lot of people who were very angry and saying oh she's lying about both you and julia liars are all lying this is not how it is what's going on there
1: um, I think it's pretty obvious what's going on there. Nobody likes to see um, their community being spoken about in a way that's negative. And I don't want to be the person doing it either. So I understand why people are um, upset. I I said it last time, and I'll say it again, just to be super clear, like, I am not here to speak out on the community broadly. I'm here to share my experiences and my stories and and the stories of people I've come into contact with through my work and through my community. Um, and there's a lot of them and they're really painful. And I think those stories deserve to be heard by the world. And for people who are reacting to it and are saying, oh, this is not true, or I don't like seeing this, I encourage them to look a little bit deeper into themselves and, and question, you know, why are they feeling so defensive about this? Um, is there potentially some truth to this, the things that they're hearing? Um, and if so, what can they do to support people who are vulnerable and being hurt? Be- rather than being defensive, maybe think about um, showing up in support
0: of people in a lot of pain. I suppose identity is that thing. It's like the it's like the word of the last 30 years or so, identity. And we know I, from scientific studies that when things uh, are related to our identities, we are much more sensitive about them and things like that. And if your identity is being a Hasidic Jewish person, you know, it must hurt a lot to hear a lot of this stuff. And, and I gather as well that it's not like as, as much as I thought it was a Hasidic community, it's actually like loads of completely different bits and bobs and things. So c- could it be that there are communities where it's not quite as um, strict and harsh as the one you grew up in?
1: Uh, yes, I know. I think that there's nuance between the different communities and not every single thing I share that happened to me is happening in every single Hasidic household. Broadly, I think, though, The the large issues that I speak to are happening in all Hasidic communities. Maybe Chabad is an exception, but that's uh, such a nuanced conversation that I don't even want to go into it. But the issue of, you know, keeping people from having access to the world, having access to education, having access to, you know, just... Uh, the ability to question for themselves the issues around gender, the issues around sexuality, um, those, you know, the sexual repression. Um, those are issues that are happening across the board in all uh, fundamentalist uh, spaces across many religions. So I'm not only speaking to the uh, Hasidic community, but it's happening in all spaces where, you know, men in power make these, you know, kind of systems that benefit the men and don't benefit the people who are oppressed, which is women, children and uh, queer people.
0: Yeah, you can't be gay in, in most religions, and you can't be gay in a Hasidic community, can you?
1: Uh, that's a rough question to answer. You can be gay. I was, <laughs> yeah. and I was Hasidic for a long time. Um, and I know lots of people who are making it work. I mean, you know, there's people who are um, identify as queer or gay or lesbian and are s- remaining in the Hasidic community. Um what that looks like is a very, um, for me, it, it seems like a, a split identity where they can't fully be themselves because that means that they're not a- celebrated for the lives they're living. They're not, you know, being um, seen as full, complete families with their partners. There's parts that are, you know, kept kind of um, separate or people, you know, in more modern Orthodox Jewish communities, there are, there's some movement where there's a little bit more inclusivity inclusivity happening. Um and I would love to see more of that happen. Honestly, I, if if you if I, someone who's watching this says, no, in my community, you can be gay and totally accepted and I'm Hasidic, that's wonderful. Um, you know, do more work to support your fellow Hasidic brethren, uh, sisters, brothers and uh, non-binary family to have access to the same opportunities, because rather than being uh, resentful that someone is calling out the problems maybe do the work to uh, offer that support to others
0: it feels like there's two belief systems well there's a belief system and then there's the reality of people are gay people are different and whatever and then there's the belief system and i feel like they can't possibly work i'm sure some people can perform mental gymnastics to make that work together but am am i right in thinking so much is based on uh, a woman has to grow up and find a a man and have lots of babies and then that, that then you can't really have lgbt in that in that area
1: that's right so so i think it's even like it can go even bigger than that like i know in the community i grew up in um even you know if you were straight but if you were an older single woman who just wasn't married for whatever reason there was really no place for you in the community and like i'm not saying that you don't deserve to exist i'm saying that the community doesn't have a lot of opportunities for you to be integrated um the the path that's so clearly established for how people should live just doesn't apply to you and so then you're in this kind of limbo of like not really living fully and so how much more so for someone who's queer and or someone who's just you know in other ways just not following the traditional expectation or path
0: mm. do you remember when you first started to question these things i mean because did you buy into a lot of it as as a child you didn't know much else
1: I wonder about this sometimes. I think for me, I always thought I believed until I realized that I didn't. Um, So growing up, I, you know, was following the rules. I mostly I wanted to be, you know, a good girl and be accepted in the community as um, someone who's well behaved. Um, in little ways I I didn't fully follow when nobody was looking I would flip the light switch or on Shabbat when you're not supposed to or whatever or brush my hair these are very criminal offenses
0: Um, (laughs) We should explain that that's Friday night until Saturday night you're not supposed to do any work and that can include light switches so when you're in Israel like an an elevator or a lift uh, they're they're like automatic a lot of them I I used to find that frustrating in hotels in Israel because you've got to wait like if you're on the 10th floor it's like you've got to stop it it stops at every floor because you're not supposed to push the bottom.
1: Correct. And and there's so much nuance like so many different little micro laws around that. So I mentioned brushing your hair, you're not supposed to like open a knot um on Shabbat wow. uh, as well because it's considered work. So there's like these subcategories of what's considered work and so things like that. And as a little kid, I would just sneak around and you know do, do the little things uh-huh. and see uh-huh. if I can get away with it, but I considered myself a believer, I think. Um it was only like once I really was like came at a, cro- a crossroads where I was like, am I going to continue being religious or am I not? Or how am I going to express my identity? Or what is there room for me in this community? When I was like, do I even believe in this? Have I ever believed this? And it suddenly like, came to me that maybe I was just afraid of people catching me doing the thing, but not did never yeah. really believed in a God. So I don't know. It's really
0: hard to parse mm-hmm. it out. I had a friend at um, high school or secondary school in the UK, we say, uh, who, who was... Uh, he, what did you say, Ad- adhered to Shabbat, or I don't know. It was a small percentage. It wasn't a Jewish school, but a small percentage of people were Jewish. And then he was like one of the strictest in that his family were. And you could still call him because obviously like, uh, you know, Saturday night, that's the night when you go out, when you're 16, we're all going to go out partying and we'd have to wait for the sunset to be like, is he going to come out or not? But you'd still call him on like Saturday. He'd pick up the phone, which you're not supposed to do, but he'd be whispering all the time. <laughs> and I was just like, man, this is ridiculous. Like, who are you afraid of? Because if you're afraid of God, he knows that you're doing this. And is it your parents? I don't 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 know what it is, but it's just, I guess it's somewhere between everything, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I think there are people who say, you know, I really believe in God. Like I always did. I was afraid God would punish me. I didn't. I I don't think I ever experienced that. So I think people have their own uh, different way of experiencing this.
0: Hey, it's Andrew. that's EXPRESSVPN.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. I think some of it's habit. I grew I mean, I had to go to synagogue and stuff. I say had to because I never wanted to, you know, but I, I would go twice or three times a year, the high holy days, they call them. And then I, it, after a few years, it was like, I didn't want to leave my mom on her own at the synagogue because it's so sad. All the other moms are bringing their kids who seem to just love it, just love being there. <laughs> and I couldn't think of like anything less that I wanted to do with my free time. I wanted to be playing football and like meeting girls and things and i've got to sit here and all this stuff like man i just want to be anywhere but here but we had to do that stuff
1: yeah and, and you know honestly i see value in it like i'm not mocking the experience sure. i see this, a lot of value in like children being raised in community and having like rituals and traditions that they do together and singing songs that they all like you know there's something meaningful to it I wish that I had that experience of it and I didn't, you know, uh, but I think that for some people it's really meaningful.
0: It is. And that was something that I think it was Frida Wiesel was saying recently when I interviewed her and she gives, she has a very mixed view on the community and everything. She's left herself, but she does the YouTube. People should follow her, uh, Frida Wiesel. She does these great like look going around. I think it's, is it Brooklyn? I think it's uh,
1: Yeah. It's uh, Williamsburg. Yeah. Williamsburg.
0: Right. Uh, and, and she's great. And she, she was saying, or oh, maybe it wasn't her, I can't remember who said this recently. I think it was Frida uh, about oh, it was her storytelling and and how we've lost that. Uh, and there are a lot of things that are really nice in the community that we don't have uh, as individual individualistic Westerns. And we all, you know, you put your kids in front of the TV and try and leave them for a few hours and hope the TV will train them and bring them up. Whereas in the community, it's like everyone's really excited for storytelling and everyone gathers and you have this imagination and it's like this old-fashioned tribal thing that we've lost a little bit. Do you feel any of that?
1: I feel that uh, th- that's a very stark black and white way of looking at it. I think, you know, there isn't just like this dark abyss of a secular world where people are just <laughs> dumping their kids in front of a TV or the other option is the Hasidic community yeah. where you're doing, you know. So I think there's... um People who are parenting wonderfully in all different ways. Um, and one of the nice ways that the community does it is through this storytelling thing. And I think that's beautiful and that exists in other ways in other cultures. Um, you know, I know like after I left the community, I still sought out ways to give my children meaning and connection and, you know, things that kind of mark time in meaningful ways. So it's not just like um, we left the community. So now you're just losing everything that gave you a, a sense of connection and community and attachment to a hist- a rich history which I still think is really meaningful and important for people hmm.
0: what kinds of things can uh, do you think m- can mothers do for children or fathers do for their children uh, in this in this sort of secular world and I asked that in the knowledge that I think a lot of my demographic are sort of age of being parents and that kind of thing.
1: So parents of all genders can (laughs) uh, think about ways to mark time in meaningful ways. I think that's something that the Hasidic community does really well and that I've adopted ways to do with my children. So like at the end of every week, which for us is, you know, after Shabbat or Saturday night, um, when the children were little, we would do a ritual where we lit a candle and talked about, you know, some something we really enjoyed about this week and something that was hard about this week. Or um, we also would do like turn to the person on your right and say something nice about them. And so like once a week we would do something kind of meaningful, and and that that was a thing that they looked forward to. And we sang a special little song together. Um, and it doesn't have to be something that religion gave you. If you're not a religious person, there are ways to make meaning that are just about you and your family or you and your community. And The people you love um you know birthdays are really meaningful in our family and we have like special rituals attached to that where you know um every before you get cake you have to give a blessing to the birthday person um so like little things like that and so there's something like special and meaningful happening at this marker of time and i think that that's a thing that religion gives people but we don't have to lose it just because we might not want to have religion or
0: yeah i i i can't imagine with my brother who i get on with very well now but when we were kids just being like say something nice about the other one no way in hell was that easy to do with your kids i think if you start young enough
1: <laughs> um and i got lucky because i have really good ones oh. um so I, I picked the good ones so. that's
0: nice yeah, yeah. You <laughs> get the good kids that's good yeah we oh man that is a nice idea i really like what you're saying i think i think yeah there's definitely room for more more of that um and, and oh, yeah you're 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 right about I, I love hearing you talk about all of this this is this is great um, so what, at what point, okay, so that we're moving on. We're just going to, we're getting through the story a little bit. And then your, your, at what point did you begin to understand that I'm going to have to find a, like, I'm going to have or someone's going to find me a, a guide now. And I don't want one of these guys, a man. Oh, you're
1: talking about when I was a kid. Yeah, I've gone back
0: to that. Sorry. We're going
1: backwards. Um, I knew, I knew all along since I was little, that this was a thing that was going to happen. And it was also something that I was, you know, anxious about. I was anxiously anticipating I was worried that I would be the last one in my class that it wouldn't get picked you know and so there was a lot of that anxiety of just like wanting to to get it over with wanting that to happen um and then as I reached closer to the age you know it's kind of a blur for me I couldn't tell you how I felt um it was this thing that was just happening you know things were just kind of moving in that direction and then it did and um I was I was um, scared and also excited. Like, it was like, oh, no, is this really happening? But also, thank goodness it happened.
0: Oh, okay. And what were they looking for when they were... Okay, so Javi is this kind of person, so we're going to find this particular man.
1: (sighs) I don't know how to answer that. I... I remember my father asking me like think of men in our community that you know and like tell me one or two of them that you think like oh like that's someone you know that like similar to that that I would want to marry I didn't know any men um and so I mentioned two people who were the husbands of families that I babysat for and I'd seen them around and I was like you know he seems like a hands-on dad and he helps his wife out and he he shows up and that seems like a good quality but I really didn't have much to go on and um it was more about you know my reputation. I think you know you have like a se- the community has a sense of who you are. Like, are you a good student? Are you modest? Are you you know smart? Are you pretty? Um, and it's embarrassing how much shallow um, you know looks based uh, matching happens uh, in the community. Yeah, like for a community that prides itself on you know n- not being focused on the exterior, more on the interior of the person, and talking about. Um, values and all of that, Um, they're incredibly shallow and um, focused on looks and how thin somebody is and stuff like that.
0: That's interesting. I didn't think about that. Because also, I guess the reason I didn't is because as with many sort of quite extreme religions, people are so covered up uh, you've got the, the, the wig, which is called a sh- 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 shaito. Shaito. Uh you've Or a got shaito. A shaitel, And you've got the men who've got the hair, the side hair and everything. So you don't really see. But then the guys from Shtizl, the, the series, yeah. that main guy is very handsome. So you can see how handsome he is despite all the, you can still see a handsomeness there. Yeah, he's not actually Hasidic though. Dude. The real guy, the actor. Yeah, the actor. Yeah, 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 yeah but he could have been, but he's wearing the stuff. Right, I-, I presume right, they're right. all handsome Hasidic people there are
1: handsome hasidic people and they're beautiful hasidic women um i think you know many of them are most of them are all people are beautiful what (laughs) am (laughs) i doing um but but there's also you know um a lot of just fat phobia and Mm. um body shaming and a lot of that yeah
0: wow it's so weird to think of like some people in a room going okay she can be with him no he's a bit too overweight or she isn't is that what they're just sitting there doing that no
1: Okay. Uh, maybe matchmakers. <laughs> yeah. Um, But that's not how most matches are made. I think for most people, it's like your parents know other parents and people talk to each other. And then, you know, in my case, like there wasn't even a matchmaker involved. My father and my ex-husband's father were friends for a long time. And they kind of, mm. then they roped in a third person to play the matchmaker, but oh, they were, ro- they kind so of set it up.
0: Yeah. I see. Okay, and uh, I mean, how, how much do you want to go into that story? Because I know you you want to speak about the after story. So, how, how much do you want to tell us now about about the marriage itself?
1: I feel like I've, t- I've talked about this so much, and people should look at all the other interviews I've done. I can keep talking about it; it just feels um, repetitive and boring. People love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to the people. if The people want it. Yeah. Uh, I can talk
0: about the marriage a little bit. Okay, should we go? We'll do a bit on that, and then uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. You weren't happy.
1: That's the short answer is I was not happy. I was very very unhappy. And and so was my ex-husband. Neither of us wanted to be in that marriage. We didn't um feel like we were a right fit for each other.
0: Hmm. And what did that feel like?
1: Very isolating for me. I felt um disconnected and um also it was like I was resentful. Like there was this man who was now living in my home who I was responsible to cook meals for and wash his clothes and take care of him. And have sex with him, and I didn't want to be doing any of those things, and so I felt like um, kind of this invasion of my space
0: constantly it must have been really difficult and then so getting out of that i mean do you, do you and he have any contact now no okay it's, diff- it's must be and what about with your parents now
1: So my father is not alive anymore. My mm. mother and I talk from time to time. Um, you know I say this all the time, like people really want to hear about my relationship with my family. And they, and people want to hear that it's, that it's good, that we're talking to each other. Um, and, you know, I want to give the people what they want. And yeah. <laughs> so the answer is yes, I'm talking to my mom sometimes. I talk to two of my siblings out of nine um, from time to time. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It is, it just is. I find that in moments of weakness, I reach out to my family um, because it, it does something for me. Um, nostalgia or... You know, just a little bit of scratching and itch. Yeah. Um, but each time afterwards, the repercussions are big, too. Like it's painful and sad um, having, you know, the 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 like having it in my face, how how disparate our, our worlds are and how disconnected we are from each other and how very little we have in common, how the things that are so big and important to me are things they don't want to hear about. And the things that they want to share with me are often uncomfortable for me to hear. You know, so-and-so got married and so-and-so was 18 years old, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't really want to celebrate that. I, Knowing what that means for this young person, I'm not really excited to celebrate that. Um, so the conversations are painful. And, you know, I, I struggle with this dance of do I keep these relationships? Is it worth investing in them? Um is it healthier for me to have more boundaries around this? I don't have clear answers yet, but I'm in I'm in therapy, so nobody needs to worry yeah. about me.
0: I bet a lot of secular people who grew up secular can in some way relate to what you're saying, because I think, and that's not to undermine the the extremeness extremity of of your situation, but but uh, I, I think we a lot the generation gap. And that thing of like, oh gosh. And as you get older, I'm not saying I'm not talking necessarily from personal experience. Before my dad gets upset with me <laughs> listening to this, but I, or, or my mum. But because uh, um, she said I don't mention her, i mentioned my dad too. If I don't mention my, mom, which is fair enough. But I mentioned my dad joking about him, and and I wouldn't want to joke about my mum because what one does not joke about one one's, one's mother. No, but uh, people we get that there's a lot of like that generational gap, and you go home for the for Christmas or in America, and it's like the Thanksgiving thing. You go back, and um, the parents, the, the things that they they value are so different to what the children value but obviously what you're saying is a a more extreme uh you know
1: yeah i think uh i think it might be there might be overlap and i think obviously when it's more extreme it's more extreme because they're in a very fundamentalist space so everything that's important to them is not important to me and more more than not important it's it's a blatant um you know blatantly uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. harmful to my value system
0: do they try to uh, not be offensive to you
1: yes and i try to not be offensive to them that's but then we, we don't have anything to talk about
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it limits what can yeah, be spoken about
1: yeah so the people you know in my family that i'm talking to are lovely and i i you know i think that there's a, a deep desire for connection that's why we still do that do this you know dance of trying to connect with each other um and you know I don't know. I don't know what the where the solution lies. I've I've been m- trying to meet up with one of my sisters for a while. We're like we're gonna we're gonna meet up. We're gonna connect. You know, we haven't seen each other in ten years, nine years. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, and you know, we're just not making it happen. We live like an hour and a half you know, apart from each other. It, it should be a thing that we could make happen, but I think there's some apprehension about doing it, and so it's not really happen moving forward i can
0: see your your body just thinking about it just tenses up yeah Man. yeah i had a um, zalman newfield came on r- recently on the show and he said that he does his parents do come over for dinner and those kinds of things but they bring not only their own food but their own tablecloth and th- and he, and i said is that is that painful for you and he said it's very painful yeah it's very offensive but it's the only way we can make it work would you would you be okay if, if, if your family came over and brought their own stuff like that
1: I don't know. Um, We're not there. Um, I don't think they would want to come over to my place at all. So it's not quite a question that's really come up for
0: me. Okay. It's interesting because in some religions, I'm thinking Jehovah's Witness and Scientology, not religion exactly, uh, you can't talk to people who left. And if you do, you you can be in trouble. But is that not the case with your family? Would they be in trouble for talking to you? I think it's the reason some of my siblings aren't talking to me is because they would
1: be in trouble for talking to me. Um, So I think it's... in trouble is it's a it's a nuanced thing it's not like god it's not a law you know god won't punish them but maybe you know their husbands aren't happy about them talking to me or the school that they send their children to would say hey like we don't like that you're associating with someone who left the community and it doesn't feel like a good idea for the other children so things like that
0: yeah which is very cruel and difficult you've left this so let's talk about leaving when someone leaves or you left in particular or whatever You've got nothing right, like on the outside. How does one get to grips with that? Oh, gosh, that's a very loaded question. I think it's, um,
1: of the huge work of rebuilding a world for yourself. It's, um, it's what people struggle with most when they leave the community. And that's why the work that we do at Footsteps and that Emily's doing here at Gesher, um, is so important. It's, uh, slowly giving people access to community and helping people understand, like, you have other aspects of identity. Your identity is not only person who left a religious community, like you have interests, you have passions, like maybe like if like for people who are, let's say queer, it's easier because like, I shouldn't say it's easier, but there's easier access to community because you have another community that you can kind of join for, uh, you know, people who are just uh, cis, straight, hetero people, it might be a little harder um, to find like their people. Um, And that's a struggle for a lot of uh, people who leave. And hopefully uh, people start finding other things about themselves that are interesting and that they can connect with others too.
0: I often reference this book by Amanda Montel called Cultish. uh, And she says at the end of it that her advice or what she's figured out from years of looking into this, I think her father was in a cult or something, uh, was Not to be afraid of communities or things like that, but to join several so that you're not, you know, reliant on one particular one, and then you don't become isolated. You don't, you know, so you can join, as you say, there's there's aspects of those different communities you can join. I suppose you could be like, oh, I like football or soccer or something, so that's going to be my community, and I'll have I'll also take up dancing. I guess those are things that people can try and do, but you're still leaving often without the language, without any education that that is uh, um, that works with. Western jobs and things. I mean, you your English sounds complete. I mean, did you speak English from a young age?
1: I did speak English from a young age. I got lucky in that regard. Yeah. so the the girls in my family spoke English, and the boys spoke yiddish. and so I, I, I my first language was Yiddish, but at like five or so, I was introduced to English and I went to school and my classmates spoke English, so i got I got lucky with that.
0: that's cool so and and that's why is it the the that the women tend to speak English and the men Yiddish?
1: Um, I can only theorize, mm. uh, but I believe that it's because um, there's this idea that men and boys are, you know, they're here to serve God. The God wants them to perform mitzvot, which are good deeds or actions that bring you closer to God. Um, and so, their expectation is that men and boys are focused purely on that relationship with God, studying Torah and and you know, focusing on that relationship. And women and girls their souls are a little less important and so they can be responsible for you know doing the things that connect people to the world like making money or filling out forms for government assistance or whatever
0: it is hmm. it still seems weird they don't speak hebrew rather than yiddish if this this connection with god is so important i understand that yiddish is written with the hebrew alphabet but it's not hebrew and it's basically german which i can understand which is great i'm i'm sort of i could we could chat in german yiddish right now that's how close a lot of people don't realize that i think they think it must be some hebrew like language. Yeah, no, my
1: fiance uh, studied German uh, and was able to, now that Duolingo has a Yiddish course, he was able to pick up the Yiddish really Ah. fast because of that. So that's really fun for us.
0: Do you speak in Yiddish together?
1: No, uh, I'm a little too triggered by it all. Okay. (laughs) But it's fun when he understands conversations or little, little words that get thrown into the conversation.
0: That's an interesting point about being triggered by it because I think I made a mistake when I was first interviewing people from Hasidic communities. Because I spoke German, I thought this is a way for us to Uh, communicate and be like, you know, connect a little bit. I want to make people feel relaxed before we start the interview. And I tried, like, you know, we said some words of German, and I don't think people really responded that well to it. So I've stopped doing that now. And it might, it's maybe sort of triggering memories and things they don't want to associate.
1: Maybe. And, and, you know, I can only speak from my own experience. For me, like, it also feels like that's not yours. Like, from it's not that I'm triggered by the language. Like speaking in in Yiddish with people who are of the experience is fun for me. Like with my friends who left, we have a good time kibitzing around in Yiddish. Um, but if some if it's not your experience, and it feels almost like you don't understand the trauma, so you don't get to
0: have the fun with it. There's like I a weird. Yeah, that makes complete sense, actually. Yeah. I, even in, again, I do a lot on Scientology. It's why I always go back to Scientology, but they have their own words. It's not the same as an entire language like Yiddish, but they have words and things. And I'm learning what a lot of them mean. And mm. I'll reference them if it's like, oh, right, they say this and they say that, but I wouldn't start speaking in that language because it would be a bit like, who the, who the hell are you? Like they, they, The ex-Scientologists would be like, what are you? Yeah, that's not, our...
1: that's not yours. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: their thing. So I try to be very respectful of that. There's so much to think about with all of these things. Yeah. So. They leave. I mean, these guys, the the men, often leave, and you can tell when you interview them. They do have quite strong accents when they speak English. What must that be like for them growing up in a country? Because I know it's not the same as like an immigrant or a, a mic or someone coming over. Like okay, they have to. Le- that is hard anyway. But you grew up in that country and you don't speak the language.
1: Yeah, it's really hard. and Emily was saying this. At, at, so I, I attended a gesher event the other day, yeah. which was really fun. Um, they had like 30 people come to Emily's apartment and they had like a, a little potluck and people brought food. And it was just really interesting to see the, the similarities between the folks in America and the folks here. We're, we're basically the same people. Yeah. Um, but people were talking about this, about how, you know, you're not like you're not just an like an immigrant when you leave the community. You're like an alien. You know, you're coming from a different planet you don't understand just like the, the culture and the way people interact with each other. And so, yeah, it's really hard. And for men and boys uh, um, who don't speak English, it's, it, there's a, an extra layer of um, adjustment and um, outsiderness, ness mm-hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, I, I really feel for them.
0: It's really difficult. I remember... I've mentioned this before because it just really stood out as an image in my mind but Emily Green mentioning when she got out and she went to a job interview and she didn't get the job and she said why didn't I get it and the the, the feedback was because you were wearing jeans and you were supposed to be wearing this is a very formal place and to her like jeans are symbols we don't even realise like in the West what we imagine that if an alien came down they would be like okay those people are smart because they're wearing tuxedos and those people are wearing jeans so they're not in the smart ma-. they wouldn't know that this is just nonsense that we've decided to artificially okay that t-shirt okay maybe and so that what kind of did you have things like that when you got out out that were like what the hell
1: i mean yes and i think everything i recently realized that i i see myself as a person who's very good at reading social situations and reacting really well to them that was always a strength of mine and it's helped me in my process of leaving the community and i also realized like that i see myself as a person who who um, understands who reads people well and reads interactions well. So I think I learned quite quickly. I'm still, there's still moments where I'm not doing things quite right, but. Most people aren't doing everything right. I think that's also the case. I think people don't realize, like, when you leave the community, you're like, there's all these rules, and I'm not following them. But then, actually, nobody nobody knows the rules. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some people are a little better at it than others, and that's usually access to privilege, access to wealth, you know, access to opportunity. Um, but many people, you know, are just faking it and trying to read a situation and, and navigate it best they could. It's okay to not know everything.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. And how does one then? What should they do? I mean, do they go to Footsteps in America? Do they go to Gesher in the, in the UK or Europe? And then, and then what happens next for someone?
1: Um, I mean, not everybody comes to Footsteps or Gesher. Everybody has their own story. Um, I think people take it one day at a time, honestly. Um, and in moments, you might reach out to uh, an organization or a network of friends or whatever it is for resources or support. Um, many people try to go to college. So like start getting an education. That's usually a good place to start. Um, and footsteps will really help with that in in the U S, um, with like scholarships and tutoring and all the resources that a person might need support groups for students and things like that. Um, so there's like different, you know, uh, paths that people might take when they leave. Um, one of them is going to school. Another one might be just looking for a job or, um, you know, there are parents who are struggling with getting custody of their children, and that becomes a very consuming ordeal for years, often. Um, and so like at Footsteps, we have a parenting support group, which I run, which is my favorite uh, The favorite, my favorite my part of the work that I do at Footsteps, um, is supporting parents and ensuring that, you know, understanding how to navigate the legal system, understanding how to speak to your children about the big questions that come up for them. Um and so witnessing parents really trying to do that work really well is just very meaningful. Yeah.
0: And these are parents who have left the uh, various Hasidic communities? Who have left or considering leaving or
1: are in the process of leaving. So people contact us from various stages of their journey. And um, the earlier they come to us, the the better set up they can be for to do this well and responsibly and, and in ways that um, won't cause damage in the legal like with the courts and stuff like that or with their children um but yeah we, we we try to support people where they're at and just give them opportunities options you know like Footsteps' motto is your life your journey your choice you know it's not like we're telling you you left the community and now you need to be blank we're telling you you are no longer uh, just following that script what does your script look like and let us help you along the way
0: that's so hard when you've been told your whole life, you've got like someone else is telling you how to be and now you've got like, oh, now now what do I do? There'll be people watching this, I guess, who are probably thinking of leaving I guess they're not supposed to have internet, but they all—I mean, a lot—all the people having a go at us on comments and stuff are not supposed to either. Fact. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. What would you What would you say to them? I guess they might be worried. What if I come and talk to you, and it gets back to my community? And what if you push me then too hard to leave, and maybe I'm not ready to? What What would you say to address those concerns?
1: I. I think that it's wonderful that you're being careful and scared. Don't just trust people. Don't trust me when I say that footsteps is super duper responsible about keeping people's confidentiality. And we we try. We have a lot of things in place to protect people because of this. We know how scary it is. Um, And still, be be super afraid and trust your instincts. And don't just trust someone who tells you that we're going to keep you safe or that we're going to do this right. Um, Proceed with caution. Proceed responsibly. Take one step at a time. And and You know, the fact that you're questioning in the first place means you're doing something really big and brave. And that's, you know, you can be proud of that and trust that you're a person who knows how to ask questions and find answers in ways that are right for you
0: does it mean a lot to you when you get somebody who's like maybe a bit nervous or whatever and you help them to get out and you help them to get to the other side successfully
1: oh my gosh yeah it does i I'm, I'm human after all and I have an ego just like anybody else and <laughs> it's 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 magical honestly to get to witness people in such a vulnerable moment in their lives and to be able to be part of the fabric of support for them um, and to, to see them thriving or even little baby steps, a, a father who got to spend time with his child and have a meaningful connection with them after like months of not talking to them or, you know, a parent who was like struggling with, you know, taking the big step of t- coming out and telling their family that they're no longer religious or things like that. Um, we also do some really good like, LGBTQ support at Footsteps uh, that I'm personally involved with that is just also some of my most meaningful work, you know, really young people often just starting to ask the questions about who they are and feeling safe in a room, you know, a virtual room on Zoom um, to state out loud who they are for the first time. Sometimes it's it's really special to be uh, part of people's stories like that.
0: Do you get um, hate mail from people still in the community?
1: Yes, uh, not much, but it, it happens.
0: Mm they see you as the enemy taking people out
1: yeah when i was starting to leave like like early days of me coming out i would get personally a lot of hate mail um like letters delivered to my home angry phone calls all of that um it's it's subsided it's very rare now once in a while I get and it's not even hate mail it's usually like now it's like this weird like encouragement mail like you're so cool and special. Imagine how much more cool and special you would be if you were religious <laughs> again. Um, it's it's interesting what drives a person to reach out like that. To me, I read it as they're curious about me as someone who left. They would like to have some connection with that. And so they're, they have permission to do this in a way that they frame as trying to bring me back. But actually, it's for their own curiosity yeah. and desire for connection.
0: Make themselves feel better as well, I think.
1: I don't think it's even that. Really? Yeah, because they can do that without talking to me.
0: Suppose so, but they can sort of then imagine themselves as this sort of hero trying to get shepherd you back to the flock. I still
1: think they're secretly trying to leave. I, 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 that's how I, I, that's how I experience it. I know when I was still religious, I volunteered for an organization called Partners in Torah, which is it connects someone who's still religious with someone who's secular to study Torah together, Um, and you know. How religious was I? Not that religious, but I participated in it because there was this curiosity to connect with people who are outside. And um, even though I spent that time trying to bring them into the fold, it was also feeding my own curiosity about what their lives are like and how they're experiencing the world. So I maybe I'm projecting a little bit, thinking that people who are reaching out to me are also doing it for that reason. Who knows?
0: I think, I think that's a really fascinating insight. I hadn't thought of it that way. I think also... Uh, I remember reading that there's this thing, the amygdala, amygdala, or amygdala, that uh, is like your threat sensor. And when they turn that off with magnets somehow, which is ridiculous, but you can turn it off, people who hold uh, quite maybe racist views become less racist, their views change. Uh, and I think that made me think about how much like s- fear is related to like attacking people. So it might well be what you're saying. They're so scared that they're doing the wrong thing by staying where they are, and you're challenging that belief system. I don't know. I get so many angry messages myself. I get like hate mail all the time. Oh now. my god! Dozens of messages every day, and the ones that really annoy me are the ones that say they're disappointed in me.
1: <laughs> oh, what like, are you, my dad? <laughs> yeah.
0: I get like probably I would say 20 disappointed email uh, messages or emails or comments per day. Oh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, just very disappointed people. It's like, I had enough from my family, teachers, siblings, friends. They're disappointed enough in me. Don't worry. I don't need more disappointment. But they're disappointed. Why are you because- letting
1: people down, Andrew? What are you doing?
0: I really liked what you were doing with the Hasidic stuff, but the things you said about Mormons are totally untrue, and I'm very disappointed in you now. And it's, oh, God, all right. Be disappointed then.
1: Yeah. All you can do is keep doing what you think is right. <laughs> that's,
0: that's my uh, wisdom for you. Imagine being disappointed because someone you don't even know has said a view That's different to your view. I just I don't think that's a healthy way. to.
1: I don't think that's actually what's going on, though, Andrew. I I think that people are grateful and excited when you're sharing things publicly that reinforces their view. And then when you do something other the otherwise or that challenges their view, they're disappointed that you're no longer providing the world with that story that they want the world to hear from you so yeah, that is it you're no longer serving their purposes if i, I
0: could just turn their amygdalas off <laughs>
1: a little magnet
0: <laughs> <laughs> just a magnet to make everyone watching to turn the amygdala and everyone would just agree with everything then or, or go okay i don't agree but i'm not threatened by that so that's fine start your cult andrew cult with <laughs> magnets <laughs> this is a cult this whole channel is a cult
1: oh my goodness nobody yeah. I've been trying to avoid
0: cults. <laughs> you're back. <laughs> but as long as you're in many different cults, you're fine. You're fine, yeah, per is, Amanda. Right. So uh, anyway, let's get back onto your life. Where are you now with everything?
1: So I'm still employed by Footsteps. Um, I'm actually currently on a paid sabbatical. Ooh. Yeah. So I uh, have three months off uh, this summer. It's coming to an end. Oh, no. no. Um, but it's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing a lot of travel. I'm here in England now. I, I'm here for work also, but I'm doing um, I did some speaking engagements. And after this, I'm going to Spain.
0: Oh, lovely. Have um, you been to
1: Europe before? England, Spain? I've not been to England. I've been to Spain briefly. Um, but now I'm going to spend some more solid time in a cute little gay beach town called Sitges. I might be mispronouncing it. Sitges? How's that?
0: Oh, S-I-T-G-E-S? Correct. It? Yes. Sitges. I don't oh, know. <laughs> oh, you're getting
1: fancy with it. Yeah, oh, yeah I don't yeah. know. Um, so so that's where I'm at right now in this present moment. But um, broadly, I'm still doing the work at Footsteps, which I'm still feeling really connected to and um, broadening my public speaking um, career. So I'm trying to do, I've been doing a lot of synagogue lectures, wow. ironically enough. Um, but there's a lot of progressive synagogues that uh, hire me to speak about you know, the nuance that's happening in different space, in different Jewish spaces. And I really appreciate those opportunities. Um, and my children are growing up. So there's still a lot of parenting left to do. But uh, it's different and more fun now that they're older.
0: How old are they now? 16,
1: 18, and 20. Ooh. Two adults.
0: Yeesh. Two
1: full legal adults.
0: <laughs> University, <laughs> um,
1: jobs. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't like, like oh, yeah, to okay. go too deep into my children's personal lives. But they're thriving. They're just awesome and such cool people that i'm really really proud of Uh, that feels possessive a little bit but they're they're just they're doing such incredible things they're so smart and so kind and um have you know done like deep deep healing work to get you know to undo some of the harm that was done to them in the community and and also to find themselves and and create their own little path so really really proud of them
0: yeah did you did you bring them up i mean are you still at all believing or in any religious way jewish stuff i'm not believe
1: i don't believe in anything at all i'm (laughs) i believe in things i don't believe in any religious um god or anything like that um so i haven't raised the children with that but also they've had a lot of exposure to it. Their father is religious and they went, attended Hasidic schools for most of their lives. You know, for my eldest kid, they only transferred for their senior year of high school. And my son, you know, my middle child had two years of secular high school and my baby is lucky because he got four years of secular high school. And so, um, you know, they, I mean, he's now entering his junior year, but he um, is getting the full high school experience, which is really nice for him. Um, but they've had exposure to so much, you know, variety of experience and they're they're picking their own, um, identities and journeys.
0: Okay. Wow. It's so complex. And then where are you on your journey?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I am satisfied with where I am, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable and kind of Finding my core values and kind of sticking to them, and I, you know, obviously want to keep learning and growing, um, but I feel a sense of like clarity that comes with age maybe um which is really nice being 40 is nice
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. 40 you look much i don't know is you just supposed to say that
1: you? no you're yeah. fine no whatever either way is fine i'm i'm, I'm comfortable I'm I'm, this
0: is <laughs> you 40. look much younger than how could you be forty?
1: <laughs> i am delightfully 40 yeah um yeah so yeah it feels good to be you know kind of growing up i thought I, I thought it would never happen for me like i would see people you know just being like grown-ups and be like yeah i'm just forever going to be like a teenager <laughs> you know like in my brain i was like always just like just feeling too young for the age i was and it caught up with me finally i feel very um happy to be the age that i am
0: oh that's good <laughs> yeah i worry too much about mortality mm. so that's my issue and i've got to deal with that i'm 34. But I'll soon be 34.
1: You look yeah. way too young.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look I must I look 14. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I did one of those things at the, the gym. I joined the gym. I was getting uh, out of shape, just no good. And the gym, there's a machine you put your hands on and it tells you your age based on how healthy you are, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was 33 a few Ooh. months ago. No, no, I was oh, literally 33. No, 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 told you 33. No. It's the other way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is not a good story. We get
1: excited. Yeah. You said
0: I was 42. Oh, I was man. 33. Well,
1: 42 is not as good age to be, because too. You
0: don't want to be nine years older than you are, though. Not physically, so maybe. I had to get into shape a little bit. I haven't done it again because I'm too scared, but I got my girlfriend to do it. and Because I, I thought the machine must tell you you're older than you are because it wants you to go and work out and stay at the gym or right. whatever would to shame you. But she was considerably younger <gasps> on the machine. Than in real life. Which... Well, they
1: know to give that to the women.
0: You know. <laughs> yeah, motivate them, and then make me feel bad. Oh, bad about myself. Something like that. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. So I worry about that. But forty years old, and I know a big part of um, who who you are today is is, is the LGBT stuff. You are, but as far as I know, I, I think you are married to a, a man.
1: I'm engaged to a man. Engaged
0: to a man. Yes. When's the,
1: when's the wedding? We don't have a date yet for okay. it, but okay. we're working on it. Um, I'm engaged as well. Mazel tov. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, awesome. Look at us just growing up i know oh my
0: god settling down (laughs) the
1: old ball and chain i know um but yeah i'm i am engaged to be married um i am working on a book oh yes very exciting um finally i've been wanting to write a book for so long and the beginning of the sabbatical so guys capitalism sucks and nobody should work that's my parting <laughs> message because being on this time off from work has been so good for really me.
0: i you're feel- writing a book that's working
1: i'm working in other ways but it just feels like um lighter and freer i i had some like ongoing uh gut issues the past few years that just completely disappeared over this summer yeah so it's a it's a good time to be a javi i'm i'm you know doing doing all the things that i've always dreamed of doing and living it up also just having a lot of fun
0: yeah, capitalism. Maybe the answer is capitalism sucks unless you have a job that's really cool.
1: No, my job's really cool. Yeah. I love my job. I just also really love not working.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. I get that feeling. Although I, I think I'm, I love this job. Mm-hmm. But sometimes before I get a bit stressed, like I'm like, oh, God, what if I forget what to say? And I suddenly fall apart on the camera. And that goes through my head. So that's quite stressful. I can't imagine take now that I've got a YouTube channel, I can't imagine taking a break ever. Right? If ever. Yeah.
1: That must not be good for the psyche.
0: Probably not. Or for no. the gut health or something. No. Maybe
1: that's why you were seven years older than the machine.
0: <laughs> I think so. Hey, what, where do you want to like send people? Like, would it be to the, the Footsteps website, social yeah, media? If, uh,
1: so I'm working on my website. Also, that's another project for the summer, but I've not gotten very far in it. But eventually people could look up JaviWeisberger.com and there will be things there that you can connect with me on. Um, but until then, you can look up Footsteps, uh, footstepsorg.org. You can look up Gesher. I think it's Gesher E. You maybe. Yes. Yeah. Um, they're doing some good work. I know there's other nonprofits that do similar work. Mavar, or is also in the UK. Um, there's other ones. Yeah. Uh, but you know, more importantly, I think people should. Uh, Pursue your own truth. You know, do good in your own community in your own backyard. That's uh my my a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. Mm. We do the most good when we do it with in our own spaces, with I the people who that. are
0: closest to us. I feel really passionately about that. Charity starts in the home. Yes. That's a big thing. I always talk about this. So people have heard it before, but I, I lived with someone for years when I was younger who was always talking about like saving like the Bolivians or like all this sort of charity work and stuff like that but they didn't like do the washing up at home and so I was just like washing around them the whole time and they were like very wealthy and it was their home and they owned it all and stuff and I was like a you know it, like, like oh okay I'll clean this up like around and she's sitting there well Andrew doesn't really care about like the rainforest and stuff but it's <laughs> like I'm washing up I'm like cleaning around your feet right and now. And it's even
1: more complicated than that because actually if you're not in the Amazon and you're not close to where the problem the issues are you might be doing more harm than good totally. when you think you're helping and so. So that's, that's really what I'm focusing on is like, look look around you right in your own life and fix the shit that's around you. Pardon my friends. Nice, right. Fix your own life. Um, and uh, one more thing mm. where we can send people to or I thing yep. that I would like people to consider is hire me to speak at your synagogue or oh, yeah. other venue that… Church? Uh, Uh, the church sure i can do a church i can do a non-denominational space or other queer spaces um i speak about parenting i speak about queerness and i speak about leaving fundamentalist judaism so
0: they do there are like lesbian rabbis oh yeah i know i know a lesbian rabbi so that's very modern i suppose isn't it yeah there's there's a lot of them and uh yeah i i had this Uh, Last month, I spoke
1: at a conservative synagogue, lesbian rabbi, delightful, delightful. They were so welcoming. Their opening speech was just like, everybody in this room should know that they are welcomed and safe here as their full identity. It's beautiful to see spaces, religious spaces that are, you know, progressing and doing the work to make their communities feel safe.
0: Thank you, Javi Weisberger, for coming on the show, for meeting in person, for coming all the way to London for a lovely day that we had together. Guys, go follow Javi Weisberger on her Instagram. It's just just her name and you can find other other interviews and things. Oh, there was one I did with her. What was that? What number was that? It was number 242, episode 242, the ex-Hasidic Jew who lost custody of her kids. That's where she goes more into her story, Uh, but also check out Footsteps and Gesher EU, the organization. Organizations that get Hasidic Jewish people who want to leave uh, out into the other side, on the real world, our world, the Western world, I suppose. Um, and and I think you know, you don't have to be somebody. You could just be interested. I mean, you, you and maybe there's a you know. You can, give support in some way if you like what they're doing and remember you can go to my community post on the youtube page andrew gold um, not the singer it's the other page and vote for the kinds of uh, topics that you're interested in um and you can put comments as well to suggest different topics that i haven't put in the list because from next month september that will be there'll be a professional guest booker working on the show who's going to be getting all sorts of different guests. So this show is about to get multifaceted, which is not as exciting of a word as as I was reaching for, but multifaceted will do. I'll see you next time.